Peterson, Green, Aim <coughs> Rider. All right, we'll sing. Maybe we'll sing it twice. Uh, God owns the cattle. This is just um, something to think about here. In 1983, a Japanese artist made a copy of the Mona Lisa. Not unusual, but it was made out of toast. <laughs> made out of toast. Isn't that odd? Toast. Out of toast. Didn't last very long, I think. <laughs> uh, in Bangladesh, kids as young as 15 can be jailed for cheating on their tests in school. I know some kids around America that might need to be jailed. <laughs> All right. Now, here's one that you want to think about. This one is really good. Uh, Howard Carter. Howard Carter. 1922. It's a short little illustration here about... Studying the Bible. Archaeologists tried to find in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt the tomb of Pharaoh Tukun, what's his name? King Tut. That guy. Mr. T. Some call him Rutan Tutan. King Rutan Tutan. Alright, after 15 years, 15 years, nothing. Running out of money, running out of um, grants and so on. After 15 years, nothing. Then, after 15 years, some of his workers found stairs that led down into the ground. After removing thousands of baskets of rocks and sand, 
They eventually found a door at the end of a long, long hallway or passageway. He drilled a small hole into the door and he put uh, an iron testing rod into a dark blank space, it says. He put a candle in that hole and after a while his eyes got adjusted to the darkness and to the light of the candle. He looked inside and then he saw something that would change history as far as those who are interested in these kind of things. He saw animals, statues, everywhere with the glitter of gold. He wrote later on about that moment. He says, for a moment, I was struck dumb with amazement. A friend asked him, can you see anything? Can you see anything? Carter says, yes, I see wonderful things. Now stop and think. I see wonderful things. After 15 years of digging, nothing. Finally, with the light of a candle through a hole, the room was illuminated faintly, but what he could see, he says, yes, I see wonderful things. Now, if you are diligent to study the Bible, you will one day say, yes, I see wonderful things. Amen. But you got to keep at it. Right. 15 years, this man dug and dug and dug for something he thought was important. And finally, a little hole in a door, a little candle, he began to see wonderful things. And now the whole world thinks he saw wonderful things. Well, the Bible is a wonderful book. Amen. But you're going to have to spend time, make time, diligently to keep digging and digging and digging. If you are content to just have Sunday school and church, you're not digging enough. You have to dig at home. Study at home. But while we're at church, we're going to dig in church too. Come to 1 John chapter 5. We have been digging and digging through the book of 1 John. It's taken us over eight weeks to come to 1 John chapter 5. But we will continue to dig and dig and dig. You know what I mean? We're going to keep digging. Because we are finding, even before we get to the gold nuggets, we still find some wonderful things to learn in First John so far. First John chapter 5, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us have a Bible. Thank you, Lord, for letting us open it freely on Sunday morning. Thank you for letting us come to church by bus or by car. And we are grateful for the freedoms that we still have. And we ask your blessings in this class and in the other classes. Be with folk on the way still. And now be with us who are sitting, anxious to dig some more, to find some wonderful things in your word. It is a good book. It's a great book. It's a blessed book. It's your book. Help us to read it. Help us to be faithful, to learn, to want to learn, and actually do some digging. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. Verse number 1. Whosoever believeth... Whosoever believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of God. Now, I was hoping to cover five verses today, and I might, but the first thing we see when we read the Bible here is whosoever believeth. I want you to notice some things here. Whosoever believeth. We have believeth. There is an ETH at the end of 
believe, and if you see that, you have a TH. The word here is believe. Now, it's amazing how some people think that the King James Bible is hard to understand because of these verb endings, E-T-H. Now, I would say to you, all you got to do, you will save a lot of money buying new Bibles. And you would, you, would not, you would not need to go with the ads that come out by publishers about getting a new, easy-to-understand Bible. Amen. You see, believe that. If you would just subtract, do some math. We subtract, we subtract E-T-H, or at least a T-H, you just have the word believe. And if you would add, you would add, see, a plus. We, see, we subtracted. And now we're going to add a plus, the S, believes. Now let's look at the sentence. Whosoever believes, okay, I got that. Whosoever believes, because you took off the TH, you added the S, you have a real clear understanding of the sentence. Read free class? No? You're going to rest? So get a rest once in a while. I don't get to rest, but you can't. <laughs> Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the believe. Okay, that's one clue of how you can uh, understand this so-called hard-to-understand Bible called the King James Bible. You sub subtract the ETH, you add an S, believe. Now look at verse 1 again. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone that loveth. Oh, no, no. What does loveth mean? I don't understand what that means. It's so difficult. Give me an ESV. <laughs> Give me a new Bible because I love it. What does love it mean? Now be careful that you react that way because it just might show your lack of basic understanding of English language. Uh, it might be a reflection of a, a poor education. Look at the sentence and everyone that love it. All right, you just take off the TH, put an S there, subtract the TH, add an S, Everyone that loves him, that beget, loveth, loves him, also that is begotten. I think I understand that now. So it's kind of not so difficult as people say that it is. Remember, publishers are in the business of publishing novels, books, whatever, and Bibles. The business of publishing is what keeps them in business. And you have to always bring something up to present a need so that you buy what they publish. I think I see a cycle here. I think I see a motive here. Now, I would say too, just to make this a little bit more fair and balanced, is that it's not wrong to make profit. You are in business to make a profit. You're not in business to lose money. When it comes to the Bible and publishing, if you say that your Bible is lacking or missing something or not adequate for today's people, it's too difficult to understand. Well, we will publish a Bible that's easy to understand. Okay? So I think you see a cycle there. Just remember, something like that, those little verb endings, just take up the E-T-H, love, loves. Look at verse number four. Another example, verse number four. For whatsoever is born of God, overcome eth. Well, you can have a stroke right there. I don't know what overcometh means. Well, take up the, the TH and add an S, and you have overcomes. ETH, take that off, and leave the E there, add an S, overcomes. That then makes sense, doesn't it? Look at verse number six. The spirit that beareth, 
The spirit that bears witness. Okay, I understand that. Look at verse number 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth. How will that be then said? If you subtract the uh, TH and add a S, the whole world lies in wickedness. I hope you understand that. It's really kind of, um, okay, that's kind of neat. How we can see that, and we don't need to change the Bible because we don't understand some things. Now, one more example, Revelation 2. Come over there with me, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2. Church of Ephesus. Now, there's a verse in this passage about the Ephesian church, which says, because thou says, I am rich, I am rich, I am rich. Is that the Ephesian church? I am rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing and no est. Well, take off the EST, you have no. 17, and know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind. So there's an EST now, if you take off that, add an S. So those are some simple rules that you can get. I have a list of them if you'd like to have for you to just keep by your side as you read your Bible. All right, let's go to, let's go to uh, chapter 5 of 1 John back there. 1 John chapter 5. Whosoever believeth, we have the word believeth, believeth, that word believeth now, whosoever believeth, I want you to think about this, everyone believes something, everyone believes something, everyone believes something, you can believe something that is true, something that is not true. Everyone has the ability to believe something. When you were young, you believed a lot of things that you heard without questioning it. As you grew older, you begin to doubt some things, but you still believe some things. And then you get an education, then you begin to doubt everything. Everything that you used to believe, that your parents told you that you heard in church, you begin to not believe that anymore. So you begin to get educated out of something that you once believed. The point is, everyone believes something. We are sitting here, we all believe something. I don't know what you believe, but we all believe something. If you believe the truth, that Jesus is the Christ, you have salvation. If you don't believe that, then of course you would not have biblical salvation. Everyone believes something. Did you once upon a time believe in Santa Claus? Now I know you folks were not always that mature when you were five years old. We maybe at one time were told about you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. We all maybe did the little song, and some of us actually believed it until we grew up at 45. <laughs> and at 45, we begged to stop believing in Santa Claus. We all believe something. Some people believe that if you put a, a tooth on your pillow, the tooth fairy come give you some money. I believe that. I believe that. I wanted to believe that. 
The angel never came. The tooth fairy never came. It, it, I began to stop believing in her. We all believe a lot of things. Um, if you believe the right thing, it'll be good for us. It'll change our lives if we believe the right thing. Believe the wrong thing, it'll be to your destruction. We all believe things. Whosoever believeth, whosoever believeth. Um, in classical mythology, there's a story about a bird that looks like an eagle that it was flying down by a fire that was used to burn a, a corpse on a platform. And this bird, this mythical bird, came into this fire and it burned. And so, end of the bird. After 500 years of living in the Arabian desert, this bird burned. But then because of the sun, the heat of the sun, and the bird somehow flapping its wings again, it rose from the ashes. Now that myth has been used to indicate or to symbolize a person or a team who has had great failure, a great loss, to rise from the ashes and be successful, be great. The team lost 162 games last year. Oh, they hit rock bottom. But this coming year, they won 162 games. Stop losing 162 games. They rose from the ashes. You know what that is called? Oh, by the way, what's the name of that bird? There's a city named after that bird. Phoenix, Phoenix Arizona. It's about rising from the ashes. And uh, that's the simile. And so that is used to describe someone who has lost or failed greatly. And then yet they have succeeded after a while. Now they call that being born again. Now look at the verse. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now what that story is about is not about this. That is not being born of God. Now when you believe on Christ you are born of God. The Phoenix myth is only about failure, total defeat, and now complete resurrection, a complete change. The businessman lost everything, but now he's on top of the world. No longer is he down in the, the ash heap. And so that's what the finished thing is about. People believe that, and they call that the boring experience. But I want you to remember, the Bible experience of being born again is not the same as the Phoenix idea. You have to understand that. I do understand that when people talk in those terms, they're just saying, good for that person. And you feel it's a feel-good story. But the best feel-good story of all is when a person gets born again. Amen. When that person who is on his way to hell and he gets saved and then he's raised to walk in the newness of life, that's a feel-good story. Amen. That is real born again. That's real being born of God. And so uh, it's quite lacking when you see people using that term born again in reference to something very human. Uh, John 5, 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth, believeth, believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That is a real Phoenix story, a real born again story, not the myth type. Okay, that's the better story of all. Raised from death unto life. Uh, people who have been very evil, people have been very violent, people have been very destructive to their own selves, and yet people, people um, in drugs, in any kind of vice, and yet when they get saved, then their life turn around because their heart changed. And then you see them as a new creature. 
Doesn't 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tell us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, that's a real, better than a phoenix story. That's a real rising from the ashes, from, from destruction to life. Uh, there's a story that Doug Odom sang. I'm not sure who the author's song was. I heard that song back in the 1970s. Doug Odom was a, a large man who had a real baritone voice. He was a very, very trained singer. But he, he did a song called Today I Went Back to the Place Where I Used to Live. My little girl, I went back to the place. My little girl ran and hid behind the door. And uh, it, it's about him saying to the little girl, uh, as, as the little girl ran away, Honey, don't be afraid. You've got a new daddy now. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. And it's a great song. You know that song. It's a great song. It's a very moving song. It's a song that reflects what happens when a man is born again, born of God. Totally different people. Some of you here were like that. In fact, everyone's like that. But to the degree of how, how raunchy and wretched, uh, wretched they were before they got saved, that they completely did. You would not even know that these guys were incarcerated. You would not even know that this guy used to be this, used to be that. Because of the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in life, being born of God, born again. That's what changes people. The hope of the world is not the government spending less money. Yeah, That would be helpful. <laughs> That'd be helpful, but it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. I remember when uh, ten trillion seemed to be like, "Oh no, we're going to stop this." Back in previous administrations, Democrat administrations, and uh, people promised they're going to change things around. Republicans do it; nothing really changes. And so, the solution is not in government. It is not anything of this world. It has to be something from God, Amen. born. Born of God, right. of God. When God changes someone, that person is changed. For real, from the inside. Eventually that person you could not trust because he was a thief. Why? After a while you begin to see that God really changed his heart, which then translates into his actions change, his thinking changes, his desire changes. And pretty that guy is pretty trustworthy after a period of time because he's born of God. A real change took place. Uh, let me just think about it like this. If you, if a car, if a car had a bad engine, engine went bad or transmission went bad, the car could look really, really nice on the outside. There's all kind of products you can use to keep the glass really clean, all kind of stuff you can do to get the oxidation of the car and then put the wax and everything, make it look really shiny. Clean the tires, all kind of things to spray in the tires and wipe it down. It looks so shiny and bright, so brand new. But the transmission's no good. Your car's worthless. It just looks good sitting there in the driveway. What good is the car just sitting in the driveway? It's made to be used to take you places. What that car needs is not a new wash and a wax. It needs a new transmission. When God gives you a new transmission, you will go places you never thought you were going to go, spiritually. And you will do things you never thought you were going to do. But that's not the point. The point is that there's a change on the inside. And so in verse number 1 of First John 5, he says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Being born of God is what people need to have happen to them. Being born of God. Now, um, being born of God means you are born again. You've heard that term, being born again. Born again, saved Christian. Born again, all being the same thing. President Jimmy Carter got elected because he appealed to the Christian vote 
voting block in the South. And he said, I'm born again. When he was having an interview with some, I don't know who, but he said, I'm born again. He's the first public figure to say, I'm born again. Everybody got happy. I'm going to vote for him because he's born again. He's a Christian. He's going to have the same death that I have. Well, born again. First one to say I'm born again. Well, not saying anything about his personal faith. I'm just saying when a man's born again from the inside, there's a real, real sincere change on the outside. He becomes a new creature because he is. It is shown on the outside. You cannot hide that. And in these next few verses, you will find out that there's proof, there's evidence, there's there's documentation. There is mark. There are marks of a man being born of God. And you can tell when someone's born of God. You know. You can almost, yeah, he's born of God. I talked to a man last week. This was on Friday, so not long ago, um, in Kailua. And uh, he was talking about something. I heard him say on the phone, yeah, praise God. Now, when someone says, praise God, what does that mean to you as a Christian? This person may be a Christian because who says praise God unless you're a Christian, right? So we're talking and um, I said, I heard you say, praise God. I mean, Christians say that. Are you Christian? He says, yeah, I'm Christian. Christ in me, I'm in Christ. God is in me. I believe God's in everything. He's in me. Okay, well, he just shot that down. <laughs> he says, I'm a universalist. And so, uh, you know, uh, he, he uses the term. He says, praise God. He said the multiple times to a counselor on the phone because he addressed this person as counselor. And so you can use the words, but it may not be real because you're just using the words. Yeah. Rise and ashes like a phoenix. You're born again. Wow, you've got a new career, second career. Now you've been born again. No, born of God, not born with right. a new career, new yeah. No, no, it's something far superior, far better than that. He that believeth. Um, now, when it comes to believeth and being born of God, uh, people have a very strange idea about being believing or being born of God. Um, people think being born of God means there is moral effort on my part. Moral effort, meaning I will be good to my neighbors. I will be uh, generous. I will donate to charity. I won't even cheat on my taxes. I will claim only legitimate deductions. I won't stretch it. I'm a moral person. And hopefully one day, it'll be in my favor if I stand before God and when I do. A moral viewpoint some people have to be born again. There are some people that have a general faith. Believe it, a general faith. I believe in God. Not sure who he is. Not sure what God is. But I believe in a higher being. I believe in supreme power. I believe in God. This is how some people think believing means. As long as you have faith, you believe something. I have a lot of sports illustration because, you know, sports is kind of fun, easy to me. Back then when the Philadelphia Phillies were not doing anything and then they won and the theme was just believe. Just believe. Banners, just believe. Everybody rattled around that, just believe. They were saying just believe that we can win. Just believe. It's kind of very vague and generic. People have a very generic faith, just believe like that. I believe in God, but I don't know who he is. Supreme being, higher power. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. You know, some people have analyzed that and said, yeah, that's a really Christian theme. Oh, boy. Star Wars. May the force be with you. There's Christian, there's Christian crumbs somewhere we can follow and it'll lead to God. I don't know how you come up with that one. 
you can spiritualize anything to make it mean anything. Yeah. And, you know, uh, no, it, God, believe in what? He that believeth in something, in someone, not whatevers, uh, around him, whatever. You know, I hate when somebody says whatevers. I mean, sorry, whatevers, whatevers. Um, I try not to speak pigeon a whole lot, but I do slip back to my pigeon days. But um, you're going to come to church. And they say, yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, that's not a, or they say about something, they're indecisive. They say, or they say they don't care, whatever. And I hate when they do this, whatever. See, the shoulder shrug and whatever just makes me want to turn around and talk to somebody else, whatever. Here's something for you to read. What's that? It's about, it, it's an invitation for church. I don't need it, I'm good. And well, you haven't read it yet. They say, whatever. Now, to do two things, whatever, and that is just like saying, you know what, I hate, I hate pigeon. And I, I are one of you pigeon speakers. Now, I don't hate you, but I hate whatevers. <laughs> don't say to me, whatevers. Being born of God is not a moral effect, it's not a general faith, it's not religious effort. And of course, most people who are decent and moral, and they are not troublemakers, they do believe that their religious efforts will somehow gain favor to God eventually one day uh, by being baptized. Are you safe? I've been baptized. I, I think the question was, are you born of God? I've been baptized. People equate a religious act to born of God. Mandatory church attendance, prayers, no meat on Friday, Confession to the priest, doing the rosary and other religious things, uh, self-effort, keep the Ten Commandments, I'll do my part. I believe in Christ, but I'll do my part as well. Um, I'll do my 10%, I'll do my 5%, my religious effort. And what is that all about? It's about having a misunderstanding about what believing means. Believing is trusting. Believing is commitment. Believing is depending upon. Believing is saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to do what he said, what the Bible says. That's faith. Faith is believing, believing is trusting. Um, if the illustration always is about drowning, if someone's drowning, apparently there's the thrashing around, is to say that I can't save myself, I got cramps, I'm exhausted, the courage is too strong, I'm going down, help! When the person calls for help, he is saying, I cannot save myself from drowning. If lifeguard's on duty, and he's not sleeping, he sees, and he's looking around, hopefully, He'll get out there on his board or he'll swim out there and he'll reach out and pull that guy out. Somebody stronger pulls this guy out who is not able to pull himself out of the water. Simple faith says help and you, you expect someone to help you. When it comes to being born of God, it's as simple as that. Now, the Bible it makes it simple, but below the surface, there's a lot going on to make salvation simple for us. Salvation is not difficult, it's not hard. He says, if you believe with your heart, Romans 10, believe with your heart, believe with your heart, believe with your heart. And that's why everyone can be saved because remember I began by saying everyone believes in something. You can believe. Everyone has faith to believe. You can believe the truth or you can believe the lie. That's your call. And so uh, religious effort though is like a substitute for just simple faith. Now, do you think you're born of God? How do you know if you're born of God? Well, it's kind of simple if you think about it like this. 
if you were to stand before God, let's say God had a door to go to heaven, all right? Of course, maybe not, likely not, and you would not knock. But generally speaking, if you knock on a door at someone's house, they look out the window, they say, who are you? This, I didn't order DoorDash. Who's this seedy-looking character? Who's this Japanese-looking guy? <laughs> no, it's just kidding. And uh, you don't open the door unless you are sure that this person's not going to harm you. But in heaven, and here's how you can tell yourself if you are trusting Christ or yourself. Here's how you can tell by the simple little idea. Yes? I want to come into heaven. And if it was Peter, if it was Gabriel, it's not going to be them. But if it was, they would say, oh, who are you? Oh, my name is so-and-so. Oh, is that right? Uh, what do you want? I want to come into God's heaven. And the angel says to you, or some apostle says to you, uh, well, why should I let you in heaven? Or if God is there, or the Son of God is there, or why would I let you in heaven? Your answer indicates to yourself what you're trusting. If you say, well, I'm here, I want to go to heaven, why should I let you in? Well, because I have kept the Ten Commandments. You know what that indicates to yourself? You're not trusting, you're not believing, you're, you're trying or if you said, well, I got baptized and, let me pull up my list here. Uh, I, I got baptized and I tried to keep commandments. I, I failed sometimes, but I tried again and uh, I gave to charity and, and wait a minute, wait, don't shut the door yet, wait, wait, and, 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 and. Now all of those things indicate to the individual that you are trying your very best, sincerely even, to enter God's heaven, but you're not believing. You're trying, you're not trusting. And that's how you can tell for yourself for the little, the little uh, illustration there. And it's true. Now, if you ask a born-again, uh, saved sinner, why should I turn to heaven? You say, because I'm trusting the blood of Jesus Christ. Something like that. Well, I put my faith in Christ. Come in. Come in. God says, oh, who are you? Well, I'm Francis. I know who you are, Francis. I just wanted to know if you knew who you were. Because God knows everything. Uh, okay, what? Well, you want to come into my home? Please? Why? Well, let you into my home, Francis. Francis, because when were you saved? 1975. Okay. Because I was saved in 1975. What do you mean? Oh, I trusted your son as my savior. Okay, come in. Come in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. welcome. Come in, come in. His answer is the right answer because he did believe. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So you have all kinds of ways of people accepting or understanding, but believe means what the Bible simply says, born of God. Let me read some verses to you. As a matter of fact, we have time for you to turn with me in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Born of God is referred to many times in 1 John. Because this is an important matter. 1 John 3, 9. Let me go ahead and read. 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. First John 4, 7. 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. First John 5, 4. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And then 5, 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. We covered that sinneth not matter several weeks back. You just want to remember that the born of God is a very important thing to the Apostle John. He's the one who talks about being, reporting the conversation with Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born of God. 
It's a very important thing to the Apostle John, and it is for us today too. Now, then he talks about marks of being born again. Marks of being born of God. If he says you must be born again, you must be born of God, there must be some evidence or some marks, some clues to know that someone is born of God. Now, I think the marks of being born of God, the marks Evidence of being born of God is very clear for First John. So far, we've covered four chapters. We've seen what he says about proof that you are born of God. But he says it again here about being born of God. These marks will come. They may not come instantly. They may not come all of a sudden. In fact, it's very rare that you'll see in a new convert all the things that will eventually come in his life of growth as a Christian. It doesn't happen the first time he receives Christ for, for, for real. Uh, in, for example, uh, there are some exceptional cases which does prove the rule. My father, when he got saved, he quit smoking, drinking almost instantly. Drinking instantly. He yeah. did smoke. Uh, he did smoke. He, he wasn't smoking then, but he quit drinking instantly. A Marine does not smoke? Did not smoke? That's... He did, but he quit earlier. Okay, quit but the drinking stopped right away. He lost. He lost right away. And swearing? Like that. But that's that's rare. And that's good. That's rare. Most people get saved. Their things drop off as they grow. As God shows them, as they hear preaching or teaching, they begin to drop it off. It's gradual, but it'll show up. It'll eventually show up. If it's real on the inside, it'll show up on the outside. Eventually. So don't make the mistake to say, you're not saved because you don't have these marks. You gotta be careful about that. That's right, amen. Yeah. Because you don't know the growth level of, a, of an individual. Right. Yeah. Now you expect people to say for five years to have more marks of, of, of being born of God than a one one saved us a month. That'll be fair. But you gotta be careful not to I don't think you're saved. But these things will show up. Now uh, in verse number two, he says this. Here are some marks. By this we know, by this we know you're born of God, verse 2. By this we know that we, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep, there's three things there. We know we're born of God because we love the children of God, siblings if you will. And we love God, number three, keep his commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments Stop there. These are three things that you can tell, the marks that you can tell if somebody is born again. Three things in verse 2 and part of verse 3. Three things. These things will come. These things are going to show up. I don't know. I'm not a good gardener. Um, we tried one time in IA, but I failed because birds got to them and, you know, things just didn't grow like to, to whatever. It's kind of disappointing. But you know that you put a seed down to the ground, eventually you hope to see something come up. And when that something comes up, the first time the green thing comes up, you are so happy. It's like you've been born again, again, and again. It's so happy. So excited to see that thing come up. And it comes up some more, and you just can't wait to get up next day to see how much it's grown still, overnight. Eventually you expect to see a bell pepper, if it is a bell pepper seed. Eventually, you expect to see cherry tomatoes if that's what you put down. What you put down is going to come up. When God came into you, the Holy Spirit came into you, something's going to come up out of you. 
slowly, slowly, but it's going to come up. And these things are going to come up. Verse number two, love the children of God. We love God and keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. Now, number three, that keeping his commandments is something that people often forget. They like to love the children of God part. Love God part. They like that part. But a lot of Christians forget about keeping his commandments. Here's how this plays out in life, in life of a Christian, in many lives of many Christians. Oh, I love Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Everything is about, I love Jesus. And they do, they do everything that, to express that they love him. And uh, they go to Bible studies. They go to all kinds of churches. They love to go to Christian concerts where people get excited and they love Jesus. And, you know, just show they, and express that, you know, a thousand people in this state of it all. They love doing those kind of things. Love God, they say. Okay, I'm going to love God. But then when it comes to certain things about the Bible, all of a sudden, they're not so keen on keeping his commandments. The Bible then becomes, well, I don't know about that. That's just his interpretation. Well, you know, um, it, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about love. And it's not about anymore. One of the three things, keeping his commandments. Do you know that the proof that you love God and you're one of his is that you keep his commandments? That's a big issue with the Apostle John. And with the Lord himself. Keeping his commandments is to say that you really believe it. And you believe in him. You are, you are born of God. And you will strive to obey what he says. Now look at the next part of verse number 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments. If you want to say rules, principles, or direct statements of scripture. If you want to say that, that's fine. And his commandments are not... Grievous, not grievous. Now, how do you take the word grievous? This is a grief to me. Oh, this is so hard. I can't, I can't, oh, I can't bear that this is hard. You are a grief to me. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You're, you're, you're hurting him. It, it's hurting me to keep his commandments. He says, it's not like that at all. For the born of God sinner, keeping his commandments Obeying his commandments, he says, not grievous. Isn't that odd? Let me explain. A young married of three years. Before she got married, she had all these things she put in a chest. And I guess it's called a hope chest or something. Or a treasure chest or a box. And she wrote a note to herself. Maybe it was in her diary. And she said, if I ever get married, I would do these things for my husband. And she made a list. She made a list. One, two, three, four, etc. She made. I'll, I'll say. I'll say. She made a list of fifteen things. If I ever get married, I'll do these things for my husband. I will show him that I love him, and that I want to be a blessing to him by doing these fifteen things. She put it in a box or a note or something. She put it in her chest among other things. Well, she got married. Three years have passed. She goes up to the attic. She's just doing some spring cleaning. And she happens to dust things around. She sees the chest and she opens it up. It wasn't a very big chest. She opens it up, goes through things, and she says, Oh, yeah, yeah, put this over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was 15, when I was 18, yeah, when I was 19, yeah, okay, yeah. And she finds a little note that she wrote to herself. If I ever get married, I would do these things to please my husband. A list of 15 things. And she looks at her list like this. She goes, Hmm. Hmm. 
And she, she writes, I was doing these things for him already without the list. You know what the point was? She didn't need a set of rules, a set of do this, do this, do this, to please her husband. She did it because she loved her husband. Out of love, she's fulfilling these things on the list already. It wasn't grievous to her to do these things. And obeying the Bible, obeying God is not grievous to the Christian. Amen. Now, here's what is grievous to you. It's when you're doing this. Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not. And you say, wait a minute. But I like drinking. My Christian friends drink. We go to the beer place and we fellowship. Yeah, I'll bet you do. And we have Bible study. I'll bet you do. And you read something like that. And then you read other verse about sudden things in your life. And you say, you know, I don't know if uh, that's the right Bible. I don't know if that's the right translation. I didn't see that in the other Bible. This must be the wrong Bible. And you come up with all kinds of things to resist. It's grievous to you. The Bible's, God's commandments are grievous to you when you're disobedient. When you're disobedient, it's grievous to you. If you're speeding, now, what's the speed limit in Hawaii? What, do we go 55, or 55? 100 miles. No. <laughs> you can't even put your car in cruise control around here. Let's say 45, and you want to go 55, 65, come in past Kapilani Hospital on, uh, on that highway there. The sign says 45, you're going to 65. You know what that is to you if you're going to 65? It's grievous to you. You don't like it because it's slowing you down. You're saying, I wish this wasn't here. I wish I wasn't here. I wish it wasn't a bad. I can go 185 miles an hour. Yeah, I'll bet you do. It's a grief to you because it's slowing you down. And the Christian takes it the same way when you're disobedient. It's a grief to you. But he says, it's not grievous to me. And that's because the Christian wants to obey the Lord. So if you want to obey the Lord and because you're born of God, it's not grievous to you. You need to be in church. Okay. You read your Bible. Okay. You need to pray. Okay. You need to give. Okay. Uh, say that again. <laughs> we balk at things we don't want to do or we're not used to doing. Hey, you can't do that. Hey, you can't do that. Hey, you cannot do that. Hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. Hey, you know that music you listen to? That is garbage. You can't listen to that. Oh, but that's what I listened to as a kid growing up. But that's what you as a kid growing up. Now you know better. You know, I like marijuana, cannabis. It's okay. It's proven to be medically okay. Oh, yeah. You're hoping it's going to be medically okay because you like it already. Anyway, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to pinpoint, we think something is grievous because it goes against us. That's what it is. And if you love the Lord, you find yourself wanting to do what it says without even having to know what it says. That's good. You don't have to have a list, but we do have a list. And so those are some marks of new birth, and it's not grievous unto us. Uh, it's a father-son relationship. It's not an employee-employee relationship where you must do something because you're employed. Let me finish. I can't finish. Let me try to go until two more minutes. He says in verse number four, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Overcoming the world, John says, is because of faith. 
Now, faith, faith in Christ, our faith in the Bible makes things, makes our perspective different in life. We see things differently. Whatever our circumstances or experiences, we see it differently. We see it from, from God's viewpoint rather than just our human viewpoint. And so we have a different attitude toward setback, different attitude toward failure, different attitude toward pending doom or something. Uh, because our faith is in Christ and in His Word, we see circumstances differently. Let me let me read to you two verses. Mark them down somewhere. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians fourteen. The viewpoint for a Christian in circumstances is not as we would see in the flesh, but we see it by the eye of faith that God will work everything out. And that verse leads me to uh, Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good. And you know that verse. Those two verses indicate to us victory in this life, overcoming is because of faith. Faith in God, that He knows all things. He would take care of all things. He knows the future. And that His word is what we go by for our daily, daily stability. And so we have faith that even though things look really bad, it's going to be okay. Amen. Do you actually hope that there'll be a revival because there's a new president that's a Republican? Are you actually serious about that? Are you actually serious that that because we have a conservative in office in in downtown or in Washington, D.C., that it's going to be better? Are you actually... Okay, look. Your faith is in the Bible and in God. And that's how come we can overcome the worst of circumstances. Somebody said last night that uh, they pay $8 for gas in California. My first thought, I found this afterwards, my first thought was, well, who'd you vote for? My second thought was, why are you blaming the oil industry? And so we, we sometimes think very wrongly where we put our faith in. Our faith is in God, for the Christian Amen. especially. Amen. And we are able to overcome the things of this world and not get so put out of shape all the time. Uh, I must confess that you, you need to take some steps to not get all bent out of shape. My taking up steps is to not listen to the news. My taking steps to not get upset all the time is to not know everything. Let other people know everything. That's fine. You people need to do that. But I don't need to know about what happened yesterday and what's happening today and what's happening tomorrow. Things change so fast and it just makes me agitated and I don't need to be agitated. I want to be nice, sweet, kind to my wife. I sometimes take things out on her when I get mad about other things. Isn't that weird how that works out? I'm mad at what this guy lied about and I'll take it out on her. That doesn't make any sense. So why should I be like that? So I cut things out. Cut out this, cut out that. I don't even bother with it. I just hear, here, there. That's about, that's all I need. I just need to focus on what will keep me victorious. All right? Does that make any sense? Amen. Up to you what to do. But um, we, we're going to trust what, what the Lord says, what the Bible says, and not the circumstances. Okay? Well, let's pray. After we pray, let's do this. Guys, do not leave yet. We're going to come right over here. We're going to do something a little bit different, something special on behalf of little David. And then the ladies can go left at 10.30. Right, so at, we got about six or seven minutes. 10.30, come right over here, gentlemen, please. And then we'll have uh, some prayer time and some, some things to talk about, okay? Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. We pray you help us to keep our eyes on you and focus on your Word through the circumstances of this life. And we who are born of God, 
may it be seen in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.